Morning, church. Uh, my name is Leland Brown. I'm the young adults pastor here at East Cooper. Uh, Buster is finishing his uh, trip to the West Coast. He'll be back next week. We look forward to that. Uh, this morning, uh, we will be in Psalm 8. So if you could grab your Bibles or <clears throat> open up your uh, bulletin, we will be learning from the Psalms again today. Uh, if you were here last week, Van Barnhill preached on Psalm 13, the Psalm where David had uh, some very difficult circumstances. His, um, he felt like the Lord was not hearing him, and, and Van unfolded how he cried to the Lord and eventually trusted in his love. And uh, Psalm 8 uh, almost could not be more different. There, is, uh, there aren't any particular circumstances at all behind the psalm. Uh, there's no trials. Uh, David's not thinking about blessings God is giving him and thanking him for them. He's not praying for anything. David is just taking a walk outside. He is out to lunch after church, enjoying some Mexican food. He's on vacation, uh, driving down some country South Carolina road, looking at all the cows and farms. But the thing that happens in Psalm 8 is David makes a connection between all of these oh-so-normal happenings of life and his Lord. He makes a connection. He really sees them. So uh, if you were wondering what all these regular things might mean, if you were wondering uh, what God might have already said to you personally this morning in your trip from your house to this church, Psalm 8's for you. Let's, uh, let's hear the scriptures and we'll pray for the Lord's blessing. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, this passage. Thank you for the world you've created. Um, and we, we just, just pray you'd help us to see. Uh, we know that right now, Lord, you are um, in heaven, ruling over the world, beautiful in glory and power, that all, all who surround you praise you. And yet, Lord, our eyes have been dimmed, and uh, we just need your help. So, 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 so please, just, just come and, and help us to hear the scriptures, to see you in them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I have always been kind of an oblivious person. I kind of tend to live in my own world. Uh, but I'll never forget the first time that being oblivious to the world around me really cost me something. I was nine years old uh, watching a TV show. And my mom walked up to me or beside me and said, uh, Leland, me and the family, we're going to go for a walk for about an hour. We'll be back at the house. 
And because I was watching a TV show, I heard and I replied with, yeah, sure, that's fine. Uh, did not hear a thing she said. And uh, about 30 minutes later, the house was unusually silent. And I started first to casually walk around and figure out where everyone was. Uh, slowly, I begin to panic in the way that only a nine-year-old can panic. Eventually, I am running through our property screaming, uh, did they abandon me? <laughs> did the rapture happen? Um, I, I remember getting physically ill. I was so uh, anxious. And for the next year, I would just pop downstairs at random times and go, Mom! Just checking that she's there. Um, I was oblivious and suffered for it. And I think the sad part is that not much has changed since I was nine. My, uh, my wife likes to tell me that uh, my possessions tend to hide themselves in plain sight. Occasionally, I'll say, uh, sweetheart, how was your day today? And uh, she will respond, I think, as graciously as she can manage. Uh, you asked me that 10 minutes ago. Thanks for being so kind over the years. Um, but whether or not you're like me uh, and being just kind of oblivious uh, in your personality, uh, a part of the human condition, if you are someone living in God's world, there is a degree to which you are oblivious to what your world is saying to you. This passage says that God's world is teeming. It's full of his majesty, that it's communicating about him. And there are, there are comforts and beauties and delights about our Lord revealed in our world. And Psalm 8 is going to help us to see. So let's see if we can take another look at our lives through Psalm 8. So first in verses 1 to 2, we see that majesty is revealed in every part of God's world. Look at the first four words, O Lord, our Lord. Um, you see, notice, if you notice carefully, the, the first Lord is all caps and the second one is not. That's because the first uh, Lord is God's divine name, Yahweh. Uh, and the second one is this word uh, that could be translated ruler or master. So David's approaching God as a king. He's exclaiming that God, God's the king over this earth. And his name is there. And he says here in the second uh, part of verse 1, he says, this king's name is majestic in all of the earth. And this word uh, majesty means royal beauty. It is not just uh, physical beauty. It's not just um, going outside and seeing something cool. It's the beauty of a king. It's a beauty of a king on his throne, ruling, exalted, doing all things for the good of his people. As Americans uh, who elect presidents who come and go, and, but who also kind of follow the British royals and the tabloids, um, we have this weird relationship to royalty. We don't really, uh, our world does not naturally speak to us of what a king in beauty looks like. The scriptures talk about it a good bit, though. There's some good kings in the scriptures. Uh, David's son Solomon uh, took over his kingdom and was so wise and so good at being king that it says in one verse, a very rare verse in the Old Testament, everyone ate and drank and was happy. That this good king ruling was for the happiness of his people. So that's majesty. There's this, there is, of course, this physical uh, glory of God 
but majesty is particularly the glory of his rule over the world. And according to verse 1, this royal beauty, the majesty of a king, it is on display in all the earth. There is no place you can go and not experience a picture of God's majesty. His beauty is everywhere. Um, and we see specifically in the next couple of verses uh, how we see this glory. First, uh, at the end of verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. And second, you have established strength out of the mouths of infants and babies. The idea is from the biggest things to the smallest things, God's revealing his majesty. Notice uh, this, this verse uh, that, that God has set his glory above the heavens. The idea is that the, the, the created order, particularly the skies and what's in them, they are imprinted, stamped with God's majesty and glory. But it's, it's always there. You can always gaze and see. Clear sky, thunderstorm, starry night. It's right there. You live in it all the time. But next there's a surprise. Uh, a lot of people, especially with Charleston sunsets, would agree that um, the, the skies declare God's glory. But next, we see that the babies, probably when they're crying, they reveal God's glory as well. Verse 2, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We've got, it's a very difficult verse. We've got three things that don't seem to go together. We've got the mouths of babies. We've got strength. And then we've got God's enemies having their mouths shut. That is uh, very interesting. But if, if you notice, uh, if you've ever been around a baby, uh, you notice that if they get angry, they get very loud. Um, there is actually a lot of strength in a baby's cry. And this passage says that God is displaying his strength and, and just the force of his life and the fact that the, the most fragile creature we can think of, an infant, he can burst your eardrums. That, that God, God's, God's displaying himself in that. He's revealing himself in that. This is kind of a sidebar, but... Um, we, we, li we live in a day that despises life, particularly life in the womb. And we've got to ask the question from this text. Why do Christians care so much about life? Why do we plead and advocate that abortion is ended in our country? Why do we care for children from hard places? Why do we adopt and foster? And it is, yes, because God cares for life, that all life is valuable to him. But it's also that all of life reveals God. It's not just the strong and whole and wanted human lives that reveal God's strength. It is the weakest, the tiniest lives. They're speaking. Do we hear? Children that we are called to care for are not a burden, they are a revelation. Their picture of strength, even in the tiniest of lives, of God's strength. But here's the main idea. God has set up the entire universe, from the galaxy to the nursery, 
to reveal his majesty. All of those things are teeming with beauty. Uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who wrote a great little poem called God's Grandeur. It's in your bulletin, just the first little line. He says it like this. The world is charged with the grandeur of God, like a lightning bolt. Um, My kids love to jump on the trampoline and then come and shock me with their static electricity. It's like a game. Um, But the idea of that, that little line is that that's what creation's like. If you could just really touch it, it's full of this electricity, this revelation of who God is. And I want to uh, just be clear about something. This is a, a, a really important point because most of us in here, uh, especially living in Charleston, um, we, we can see the world as beautiful. And we love to enjoy this place and all of the delicious dining here. And, we're, we're, and we'll, we'll even be quick to say that, uh, that yes, this, of course, this reveals that, God's, that God exists, that he's, 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 he's here, right? Um, this passage goes further than that, further than most of us, I think, go. It connects the dots between a beautiful creation and a beautiful king, and it relishes and enjoys the beautiful king. You see, David doesn't stop with, this is beautiful, I love living here. It shows me that there is a God. He starts with creation. He connects the dots between with what creation reveals about who God is, and then he relishes God. We were not meant primarily to be thankful consumers of creation. We were meant to be students of creation. You are meant to walk through your life as you live, as you work, as you play, as you sleep, as you eat, as you drink. And you were meant to seek to know more of God and who he is in those things. You're supposed to observe the king ruling in beauty as you live. So take another look at your oh-so-seeming normal life. Take another look at the fact that you cannot go outside without immediately sweating. There is something communicated there about the intensity of God's presence. Your commute to work tomorrow or your plane ride to vacation is going to be teeming, not just with beauty, but with doctrine. You in a phase of life full of the cries of little ones? The midnight feedings are revealing something. My four-year-old stomping her feet and screaming so loud my ears hurt. There is doctrine on display. The doctrine of sin, yes, right? Original sin, they're born that way, right? But also the doctrine of God's strength. So take another look at your life. Stop trying to escape it. Many of us are so addicted to our smartphones. We live most of our lives on a screen. We can't notice the things around us because we're just sitting right here scrolling. Take a look at your life. Marvel at it. But notice next where our text goes. The end of verse 2. God has established strength out of the mouths of babies and infants at the end of verse 2 because of his foes to still the enemy and avenger. 
It's a tricky verse. Uh, fortunately for us, Jesus quotes this verse. Uh, in Matthew 21, he's arguing with the Pharisees. They're, uh, they're noticing children in the temple running around, singing praise to Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, look at what they're doing. They can't do that. That's blasphemy. And Jesus responds with, have you never read Psalm 8? And he quotes this verse. Out of the mouths of infants and babies, you've established strength. Or as he says, quoting the Greek version of the Bible, you've prepared praise. So what's going on there? At this point in time, the Pharisees uh, were resisting Jesus. They were his enemies. They were trying to have him killed. And they're hearing these cries, and Jesus is saying, what these cries are is evidence. They're a witness to you about who I am. They are calling you to turn and repent and trust me. And they're warning you that if you don't, on the day of judgment, your mouth is going to be stilled. So majesty revealed makes us accountable to respond. If the world around us is revealing that there is a beautiful king on his throne who is our portion and our treasure and who is the delight of the ages and who rules, what it's revealing is we must come to him as if he's a beautiful king. We must bend the knee before him. We must treasure him. And maybe you're, uh, you haven't taken that step towards resting upon Jesus submitting your life to him. And I'm so thankful you're here, first of all. Glad you're here. Um, But if you're there, you might think that you need to wait for God to reveal himself in this special, crazy way. You might think that you gotta wait till you have a, a vision or a dream or just this powerful emotional sense before you come. What you're saying is that God hasn't given you enough evidence. And the truth is you have all the truth you need. It's on display. The very air you breathe is telling you there is a beautiful king, as the rest of the scriptures reveal, who came to earth, who lived in your place, who died bearing your sins, who's resurrected. And even in the midst of all your sin and resistance to him, he is willing to receive you if you will just come. The stars and the sun they declare, come and find life in the king. Come and be filled. So far, Psalm 8 has relished the majesty revealed. It has exulted in how God has set up the world. But next, we see majesty responded to. David makes a personal response to seeing the night sky. He applies it to himself in maybe a surprising way. Look at verses three and four. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So David, uh, he's noticing the stars in the sky and it's interesting here, he says uh, that the stars in the sky are the works of God's fingers, like not even his hands. Like think of how you take a penny out of your pocket or how like a little baby will grab a Cheerio. That's God setting up the Milky Way. He just places it. But David notices this, and he asks a question in response to it. He takes one look outside. He takes a look at the stars, and he says, what are we that you're mindful of us? What is man that you care? Let me uh, 
maybe try to make a couple connections that David was thinking about as he looked in the sky. If there, if there are... Uh, if the night sky is communicating something about the majesty of God, there are at least two things it's communicating. First, that God is big and huge and beyond us. He's created immense distances, empty space, beautiful skies, all that have nothing to do with us. There's a universe beyond us. He's big and free. You know, um, we're going to see in a second just God's tender care for each individual. Um, but it is important. I think, I think our world is daily reminding us, especially the stars, that if we walk out of this room and we die, the world will go on without us. We're not the center of the universe. right? In fact, and even if disaster happens, right? If our presidents start a nuclear war or... The zombie apocalypse happens or whatever. The stars wouldn't even notice. The universe testifies to us of our smallness. And there's another thing the nice guy reveals. That God breathes beauty. He speaks beauty. He has in himself this beauty and life. So when he says, let there be light and let there be stars, the Milky Way happens. He has a life in himself. He has a glory in himself. He has a beauty in himself. In other words, he does not need us to be happy. And um, this, this is probably something that we don't think about much. It might even be kind of offensive the way that I've said it. And I think, I, think, I think it's important to recognize that we're, we're Westerners, we're Americans, our, our culture, even though we, we, we think very carefully about our culture and try to fight the ways of presence, it, it has influenced us. And one thing Western culture did long time, a long time ago is it put mankind, or it put God in mankind's debt. It assumed God's love, demanded his blessing, and asked God to answer for the way he runs the world. And there's nothing further from the truth. A look at the night sky reveals that we are not the arbiters of truth. We're not the center of the universe. And it is from here, it is from this place, this most basic humility of being a limited creature. Here is where you can marvel that God loves you, right? Because if God's in my debt, if he owes me his love, the gospel makes no sense to me. It's just a given, right? But if God is free and beautiful and does not need me, and yet he chooses not just to notice me, but to become flesh like me, to take on flesh, to live the life I should have lived, to die in my place, there's glory there. David is marveling here because he's shocked that God cares. He's relishing in it. Creation shows him God doesn't have to, and yet he knows from the scriptures that God cares for and loves his people. Even here he says, God's mindful of man, and that he cares for man. In Psalm 56, David goes further. He says this in his trials. You have kept count of my tossings, You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not 
in your book. The one who puts the Milky Way in the skies, just like this. He knows how sleepless you were last night. He's kept track of every tear you've cried. He's got your whole life. He's got your story before him. He's intimately involved in the details of your life. And the beauty and the glory and the wonder is he doesn't have to be. He chooses to. Take another look at your world. It is testifying to you the majesty of the grace of God. One look outside shows you that you're nothing and that God has made everything of you in Jesus. I hope you can embrace this humility and marvel that God cares. We've seen majesty revealed in creation. We've seen majesty responded to in this humble prayer. And now we see majesty given to mankind. It is amazing that God cares, but it is overwhelming here that he crowns humanity with his honor and glory and rule. Uh, David actually, uh, he's been looking at the stars and taking a walk outside, but he's actually also been reading his Bible. Uh, Verses 5 through 8 are this deliberate uh, kind of praise in response to Genesis 1. Uh, All the created creatures in Genesis 1 that are listed are, are kind of recounted here. Um, just hear just hear Genesis 1 20 to 20, 27 to 28 and this might uh, open up Psalm 8 to you the scripture says so God created man in his own image and God charged Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth so first David marvels that God would give humanity just a little less glory and honor than the heavenly beings. Uh, This verse, uh, verse 5, depending on the kind of Bible you have, uh, it might translate that word heavenly beings as angels or maybe even as God. Uh, This Hebrew word could mean either. Uh, When the New Testament quotes Psalm 8, it goes with angels. So we'll just just stick with that. But um, angels are these beings in the scriptures of extreme power and glory. If one appeared right now, the sermon would be over. You would be diving for cover, running for your life. It would be terrifying. And God has placed mankind right under that. There is a dignity and glory given to the human race, crowned with honor. But God hasn't just given us dignity. He's given us dominion. Uh, and dominion uh, is this strange word. Kind of, it's kind of thrown around a lot, but it just means rule. When something is under your dominion, it is under your control. Uh, you, you get to say where it goes, what it does. Um, my yard right now is not under my dominion. If it was, it'd be, mo- you know, it'd be mowed, edged, like things would be doing what I want to do. All right, dominion is something you have control over. And uh, this passage says, God doesn't just care. He crowns humanity and he has given him dominion. So notice this, the one who rules, who reveals his royal rule, shares his royal rule. That's the glory here. Put all things under his feet. Again, regular life, if you take another look at it, 
regular life has a thousand things in it that help you marvel at the privilege humanity has. You probably came here in a car, an engineering marvel that's results of hundreds of years of mankind exercising dominion. You just, or some of you just pushed a button, right? They do that now. Cars without keys, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> we drove here on roads. You were not afraid last night, unless you went camping maybe, that a wild beast was gonna attack you in your sleep. That is, that is a sign to you, not just that life is convenient and good, but that God has given humanity a privilege, dominion. They're not just gifts, they're signposts. But even a really quick look at life uh, shows us that our glory is very tarnished, our dominion is mostly lost and regularly abused. Um, our world is broken. There are many things outside of our dominion. I can't keep my yard under dominion. None of us can keep our hearts under our control. And that has been the story of every human being from the very beginning. The same couple who got the charge of Genesis 1:27 to have dominion over the earth, to be God's vice regents, his rulers, takes one chapter and they've lost it. They've surrendered it to the evil one. They've disobeyed God's only commands. And that is your story and mine. Whatever your story is, you have willingly rejected God as your king. You've, you've traded the truth for lies and we, we've taken up our own lives, our own identities. We made ourselves God. And because of that, we live in a world full of suffering and brokenness and dominion lost. And that is why when the writers of the New Testament, inspired by God's Spirit, when they read Psalm 8 verses 4 to 6, they didn't think of me going home and trying to do a better having dominion over my lawn. They didn't think of us exercising dominion. They spoke of Jesus in the future kingdom, having everything under his feet. Psalm 8 verses 4 to 6 is quoted twice in the New Testament. And both times, the authors are pointing to the future rule of Jesus in the coming kingdom. Let's look. Uh, turn to Hebrews 2 with me, if you will. It's also in your bulletin, if that's easier for you. The book of Hebrews basically says... You should turn to Jesus and endure with him because he's the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament prophesied. And this passage in Hebrews 2 shows that Jesus isn't just the fulfillment of the sacrificial system or of the prophets or of any of those things. He's the fulfillment of mankind. He's everything man should have been. Hebrews 2 verse 5 says it was not to angels but to Jesus that God subjected the world to come. And then... He quotes Psalm 8, and he says this, Now, in putting everything in subjection, or under the dominion of him, that is Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Notice a couple things. Very complex passage here, but notice a couple things. Jesus is doing everything mankind should have done. 
Just like mankind was made a little bit lower than the angels, Jesus in his incarnation was made a little bit lower than the angels. Mankind was supposed to rule. Jesus now rules over the hearts of his people and over the earth in a general sense. One day, though, everything will be under his feet. He will rule over all. Everything will be subject to him. And there's a lot more we could say. But the main idea is Jesus is the fulfillment of mankind. And if he's the fulfillment of mankind, this passage does not land in me trying harder to be a good human being, in me recognizing my, my dignity and worth, in me trying to exercise dominion. That's not where we land. We land in one day, Jesus will rule over all, and I must adjust my life accordingly. I've got to submit to the king. There's going to be a day. I can, guys, I can, we can all, we can all sort of submit to Jesus right now. We can get away with half-hearted obedience, Maybe conversion or not. We're only, it's not that big of a deal. We just live our lives, come to church, do our thing, and get away with it. But there's a day when the Jesus we talk about each Sunday, when he rules over all as a king coming to destroy his enemies, rescue his people, reward the faithful. That day's coming. And maybe, again, you're, you're considering Jesus or you've been convicted over something for a long time or there's this new step of obedience ahead of you. And it just doesn't seem worth it to you. It just costs too much. Sharing Jesus in the workplace would make you unpopular. Taking that next step would really wreck your lifestyle. And if this present life is your only concern, I'm with you, right? Following Jesus is hard. It costs you something. But if there is a kingdom coming, when Jesus rules over all, and, and the people who don't really know him are revealed, and yet the people who are faithful to him, the little things, when they're rewarded beyond their imaginations, if that day really is coming, then I should do anything at any time for Jesus. I should submit my life wholeheartedly to him. You know, in Hebrews 2, uh, also shows us that the one who is coming to rule has first died. If you notice at the end of that passage, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The one who is going to rule has tasted death for you. He loves you, right? His commands are for your good. So submit to his rule. And I would say, too, set your eyes on his rule. God intends that the truth of the coming kingdom, that the, the picture of heaven the Bible reveals, the picture of Jesus returning, he intends, if you're a Christian, for that not to scare you, but for that to encourage you and strengthen you. He intends for you to walk through your life with all of its trials and all of its difficulties, saying, there is a day when he will wipe every tear from my eyes. There's a day when rest will finally come so I can keep going. There's a day when every act of obedience will be rewarded. He's going to reign and rule. And if you're faithful, 
you're going to reign and rule with him. Set your eyes there. There will be a day when everything is coming under the feet of Jesus. It's going to be a great day. And interestingly enough, I think it is from that place where I am thinking about the rule of Jesus, I'm submitting myself to him in light of it, where I can finally come back and actually embrace the life I have. And so often we're distracted from God's world. We can't receive his gifts properly because we are so busy trying to build our, a life for ourselves. We're so, we're so caught up in, in distractions, trying to, trying to find our identity somewhere. And when, and when the truth about the kingdom answer those questions for us, when they change us and form us, God enables us to actually see and enjoy the world and the lives we have. So take another look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not just a message of salvation that you start with. It's not just the entry point to heaven. The gospel of Jesus is the majesty of God revealed and the freedom for your heart. The gospel of Jesus is where we see God's beauty on display, satisfying us, enabling us to follow him. So admit this morning with me, like a a nine-year-old glued to the TV or an ineptly distracted husband, that you have been oblivious, a little bit at least, to the beauty of God's ways in the gospel and the beauty of God's world. You haven't seen. And, and just and pray with me that God would open your eyes to see. Think of the moments ahead. You're going to leave here. You're going to walk in the hallway. You're going to pick up kids maybe. You're going to go to lunch. Ask God to enable you to see the glory and beauty he has imprinted upon his world. Ask him to help you relish him in those things. I mean, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, get along with God this, this afternoon. Get a passage of scripture that speaks of the coming kingdom. And do not leave until it changes you. Set your eyes there. If you do, as the prophet Isaiah says, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you are exalted and ruling over all. We thank you that uh, there is a day coming um, life and freedom for all who've trusted you. And we, we, or we just, and, and even now, and just, just reality that we're about to jump back into is testifying to us again and again. So Lord, Lord, help us see. Spirit, please open our eyes to see your majesty written in creation and in the gospel. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.